But speaking of boys, I mean, I have one son now. I actually have three sons. Um, and when I was a boy, one of the things that I was very fascinated by was records, world records. Um, the Guinness Book of World Records was one of the things that I used to love to read because uh, I was just fascinated by, let's just say, we'll look at one of them, the, the biggest bubble in the world, 20 inches without using his hand by Chad Fell in Alabama. Another one I was fascinated by was the largest pizza in the world, 13,000 feet, prepared, of course, by a group of Italians, right? So in Rome, in December of 2012. Okay, so just pause there for a second, because in fact, also when I was a boy, they actually had this TV show, we'll pause for a second, let's see, see if some of you remember, because one of the things when you, when you read these records, you just say, wow. You say, that's amazing. And the, the tagline for the Guinness Book of World Records is officially amazing, okay? But the other thing it evokes in you is a world called, that's incredible, okay? So for those of you who are a little older, flick to the next slide, there was actually a TV show in the 1980s called That's Incredible, okay? And I used to watch it, and they had all these people doing amazing things at that time. So some of you remember that. But more importantly, I believe that God has created in all of us this, this enamoration with people who do amazing things, okay? Think about it today, right? There's TV shows, America's Got Talent, The Voice, The X Factor, Dancing with the Stars. So you think, how many of you enjoy one of those shows? Okay, we don't have to say which one, right? So why is it that we enjoy these shows? We just like watching people do amazing things. And when we watch people do these amazing things, what is our response? We're like, you gotta see this, right? So we like it, we tag it, we forward it, whatever it is, because we want other people to see it and experience it. Because we just think it's incredible, okay? And that's really the thing that got me thinking this week, or not this week, just as I was preparing this message for many months. Why is it that I am so amazed and astonished by people that God created, and not as much so by him as the creator. Why is it that I say, wow, that's incredible, but at the same time when I start reading God's word, sometimes it just seems boring or dry. What is it? And it hit me, it hit me, it's, it hit me to think that the reason it is is that because there's things that I haven't fully understood. So when you watch these things, right, one of the things you say is like, how did they do that? How does that work? That can't really, like the bubble, that really can't be true. There's another one with a guy with a mouth like this big. How in the world is that true? So this morning, we're actually going to look at a very familiar passage in the book of Jude. It's actually Jude's Benedictionist doxology. It's just two verses. And it's something that's going to get us to say, wow. It's going to get us to say, that's incredible. It's going to get us to say, that's a, a ma officially amazing. So let me just read it. We'll put it up there, Walter. Um, Jude chapter, actually Jude only has one chapter. So Jude verses 24 and 25, you can follow along with me. It says, to him, that means God, who's able to keep you, that means us, his followers, from stumbling and to present you, us again, before his glorious presence. How? Without fault and with great joy. And then he goes into this praise to our only God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen. Can I get an amen? Amen. amen. So what this is, these verses, and we'll just leave them up there for a second, they are a description of God's amazing commitment to us. And we're going to unpack them a little bit, and we're going to see a few things, and I hope as we look at these things, that it'll evoke in you a sense of wow. Evoke in you, so that's amazing. And that's incredible. So we need a little context here. Who is saying these words? 
and who is he saying them to? Just to get, a, get an idea. So Jude is the name of one of the books of the New Testament that's a letter that's written to a church, some of the early church leaders. Um, and Jude was a church leader himself, and we see in the book of Acts that he was actually the brother of James. We also can look over in the accounts of Matthew and Mark and see that not only was Jude the brother of James, but he was listed as one of the siblings of Jesus. So Jude, you could just go, just pause and think for this person who writes this about God and about Jesus our Savior, he had actually grown up with Jesus. Okay, he had seen him from, you know, we don't know how much younger he was, it's a little unclear on the ages, but he'd grown up seeing his older brother live this life, die on the cross, come back and commission he and some of his other brothers to be some of the early churches. That's the context of who we're dealing with. Now the letter itself, Jude wrote, was focused on defending the core characteristics of the faith. In fact, uh, this letter was going after some false teaching. And Pastor Brian's going to be leading us in a series in the upcoming weeks in the book of Galatians where it goes after a different set of false teaching. Um, this set of false teaching that Jude is focused on is one where people thought that their spiritual life and their physical life were different. And that the things I did with my physical body had nothing to do with my spiritual life. So you can imagine some of the license that they took. They were really thinking it, it really doesn't matter. And I think in our day and age, if you think about people, they're like, well, what I do shouldn't matter to what? To you. And what I do shouldn't affect you. And what I do is just my thing. So this thought process is not necessarily a new one, but it's been around a long time. And when Jude talks about that, that's what he's refuting. But really in these verses, there's three things we want to be amazed at. Number one, we want to be amazed that God is the one who protects us to the end. Number two, we want to be amazed at how God is the one who finds it a joy to present us at perfect at his eternal throne. And lastly, we want to realize how God is the one to be praised forever in our lives. And as we begin to look at these amazing things, my hope is today is that this will just evoke in us a greater sense of worship. Because the more that you find out about something, the more that you discover something, the more that you're amazed by it. So like recently, we went on a vacation uh, to the UK, and when we're there, oftentimes we have people who are tour guides, and they kind of describe things and give us the background and, and context of things that we don't have. So that's my heart's desire today, is that as I unpack the scriptures in these verses, these few verses, is that at the end, you'll be encouraged and learn some things that'll really make you more appreciate who God is, and as a result, want to worship him more often and more deeply. So let's start in verse 24. Um, we'll, we'll, uh, let me read the whole passage again, and then we'll just start with that first section of verse 24. Again, sure enough, I want to read it again. To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy. To the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. Like I said, so if you look at verse 24 there and you flip to the next slide, it says, to him who is able to keep you from stumbling. Now here I want us to just to be amazed that God is the one who protects us to the end. God is the one who keeps us from falling. And what falling here means is falling away from the faith. It means kind of going all the way away from the faith that we've been given. So much so it's a sense of, and I don't mean to be corny with the 19... 70s and 80s again, but you remember there's, there's a lady and there's a television show, a television commercial, and she says what? I've fallen and I can't get up, right? That's what we're talking about here. It's, it's a sense where literally you've fallen spiritually away from the Lord in a way that you can't get up on your own. You've, you've drifted away. You've stumbled. 
And that's a sense that's going on here, that God is the one who's watching over us. In the same way that you can press your life alert or whatever, God is much more than some sort of life alert button. But he's really watching over us to ensure that someone or something is not going to take us away. The, the word here that's used here is a sense of a sentinel at a tower who's looking over over the castle to make sure that no one from the enemy is going to come and attack and going to give fair warning while in advance. Now, just a few weeks ago, speaking of towers, we visited the, the, the Tower of London. And in the Tower of London, they have the crown jewels. And you can imagine the level of security that was there to be able to see these crown jewels. Okay? In fact, some people even wonder if they're the real ones, but they are the real ones there. And they're actually held in a vault in the ground floor of the Waterloo Barracks. And we were able to walk around through there. But if, if this level of security is placed on something that is that special to the people of England, you can imagine what God does to something that's so special to him to secure that. The level of security and guarding and protection he puts around us as his dear children. Those of us who are parents, we want nothing more. What is the first thing we often want for our kids? Safety, protection. We pray for it every day. We just prayed for it for Colleen. Right? That's what we want. We want to be kept safe. Here again, this is this sense of just God protecting us and protecting our souls and keeping our souls in his possession. Now what's neat is, is that Jude was one of the last letters that was written, and Jude had the benefit of having some other letters written by Paul and Peter that he could reference or make reference to the same kind of ideas. And so we see the same idea Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1. And he talks about, he will also keep you firm to the end so that you will be blameless on the day of our Lord Jesus Christ. Paul also mentions in 1 Corinthians 5 how God himself, the God of peace, sanctifies us through and through. He keeps us blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He reminds us what? This is the phrase that many of us love so much. The one who calls you is faithful, and he will do it. So again, think about God. God is the one who protects us, who perseveres and keeps us from stumbling. Now, how does he do this, okay? How does he ensure that this happens? Well, what's neat is if you remember back, he's entrusted us with his Holy Spirit who resides inside of us. And so um, before we go to the next slide, just hold tight here. One of the things that's happening, and I must confess that I, I am one of the worst backseat, side seat drivers that there is. So, and unfortunately, my wife has motion sickness, so when we drive, she just to drive. So there's times where I will say, you're getting quite close over here, right? Or look out for that, right? So what's neat is, is that, you know, that isn't really God's design for me in her life. Um, so I will confess that. <laughs> Dom was praying for the sins that we've committed and, you know, that he would forgive us. So I will, I will commit those sins and forgive, ask for forgiveness. But what's neat is, is that, I want to use the example, if you could put up the next slide, that there is things that we got this car in Ireland, and they have these things in cars now, and I rent cars when I travel for business, and they have these things, they're, they're, they're called systems of collision avoidance. Okay, there's forward collision warning, auto brake, lane departure warning, lane departure prevention, adaptive headlights, blind spot detection. So what happens when you're driving this car, and if you get a little too close to something, it goes and as you get closer, so now I don't have to say anything anymore, right? It's just you are getting close, okay? I don't have to say a word, right? Like you're getting close to the bush, you're getting close to the you're out of the wrong lane. Now, to be fair, Phyllis is a 10 times better driver than me, just so we're, I want to be on record. I'm not, I'm not exaggerating that. But what I'm saying is those detection systems that man has created to prevent us from an accident in our car 
are minuscule compared to what God is doing in your soul. As you get close to false teaching, as you get close to relationships that are destructive, as you get close to temptations, as you get close to lies that you're going to believe about that are not true about you, Holy Spirit will start and give you a warning signal. This is how God preserves our souls. And he also uses each other. We have a community of faith here that he may have someone who's going to speak truth into your life. So through his word, through his Holy Spirit, through the community of faith, God uses these tools. That was what was so neat about Jude. He was one of the last people to write this book. And he got to see this early church and the way that they banded together, the way the Holy Spirit was given to them, and the way that they had God's word in order to preserve their souls. So God is amazing in the way that he detects these things, preserves our souls. And that's what I just want us to be excited about today. Now, in fact, you remember Andrew last week when we were doing I Life Sunday? They talked about the verse in Philippians 1. He says, I pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now, being confident of this, that what? He who began a good work in you will what? Will carry it on to completion. God doesn't fall asleep on the job. He doesn't not get it done. He holds us to the end. He protects us. We want to be amazed that our only God, our Savior, who's the one who protects us to the end. So let's look at the next part of the verse. Verse 24 continues with this amazing promise of a God who presents us before his glorious presence without fault and great joy. So I want to unpack both of those sections. Okay? Now we're amazed at this God who finds a joy to present us as perfect. Now I want to go back to a story that many of you may be familiar with in Matthew 18. Jesus tells a story about a slave who owed a king millions of dollars. He told him that he would pay him back every cent, yet it was clear that he couldn't. The king felt compassion for him and was willing to cancel his entire debt. And that's where we're at today. We're in the same position before God. We think things, we say things, we do things that we know are wrong. And we've incurred all these debts, and we need our debts forgiven, our sins forgiven. And we can't on our own. Which is why God sent Jesus his son, and then John describes him in John 1.29 as the Lamb of God who what? Takes away the sin of the world. So when we talk here about God who presents us before his glorious presence without fault, it's because of Jesus. We can't redeem ourselves from our sin. God has compassion on us and pays the price himself. The price paid, the sacrifice made to accomplish this redemption was nothing less than the death of his own son. It is through Jesus' death on the cross that we're able to be presented without fault. The idea here without fault is actually not just that of without blemish, it's actually one in the Old Testament where there was a sacrifice required, a perfect sacrifice, an animal without fault and blemish that was presented to God who required perfection. And earlier even in this letter, in verse 21, Jude encourages them to keep yourselves in God's love to wait for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ to bring you to eternal life. The idea here of blameless is that of no longer being guilty, not just of no longer being guilty, but the charges are dropped. There's nothing left. There's no charges. Jesus is the perfect sacrifice has paid the penalty for our sins on the cross. Now there may be some of you here today who maybe never experienced that, never accepted that for yourself, that Jesus was the one who, who made you blameless. It's him who took on the charges that are against you. Our hope today is that you would trust in him. For those of us who have trusted in him, we want to be reminded about how incredible this act of sacrifice was for us. We can't preach it enough week over week over week. Jesus died in our place. Jesus paid our debt, something we could never pay back ourselves. 
That's why we're blameless. That's why we're without fault. Now, what's interesting is, is that we get to be presented blameless. Now, another word that's often used here is without blemish or even perfect. Now, in the same way at the beginning of the message, I mentioned we're kind of fascinated by people who do kind of crazy things or amazing things. I think we're also fascinated, God created in us a desire for us to be fascinated by perfection. And even perfection of things that we sometimes do ourselves. So how many of you are paint, have ever painted your own home? Painting, painting. There's a few of us who try to paint, right? There's a thing called a corner. So if you could flip that up, okay? There's a perfect corner. How many of you, after you painted the corner, take up, well, look at this, it's a perfect corner. Perfect. Many of us have children, or they have uh, uncles and uh, nieces, nephews, or whatever. And what do we encourage the kids to do with coloring? Inside the line. And not only that, but if you do it, pick up the next one. Look at that. It's perfect. You did it perfectly. That's wonderful. We're just amazed at perfection. There's a certain sense of perfection that we have a desire to see and to appreciate. In fact, those of us who watch the Olympics, right? Think about the Olympics. Gymnasts, right? This is what we want. We want the whole routine done, and our desire is for somebody, right? This is not like some of us enjoy like automobile crashing and watching that on YouTube. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about the opposite, okay? This is, that's a distorted thing. We need to confess that later. We'll, we'll have a little small group for that, okay? But um, here, this is a desire for perfection. We watch gymnastics. Why? We want to see that perfect routine. We want to see that perfect 10. Likewise, we watch ice skating, okay? And what do we want to see? We want to see somebody who's faultless, does all the spins and jumps and comes down without stumbling. That's our desire. Where does that desire come from? God has that desire for us. And as image bearers of him, we bring that in. Some of you are teachers, you want that in your students. Some of you are parents, you want that in your kids. The desire for people to want to be perfect is not a bad thing, but here, okay, what we need to realize is that we will continue to fail, continue to fall, and the only way that we are going to be blameless, the only way we're going to be perfect is that if we take on Christ's righteousness, we receive that for ourselves, okay? And in fact, what's neat is I talked about these, these writers who went before, so let's look at Paul, right? Paul in Ephesians 1 tells us how God chose us in him, being Jesus, before creation of the world, that we would be what? Holy and blameless. In Ephesians 5, Paul explains how Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her what? Holy cleansing her by washing with water through the word to present her what? As a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or without any blemish, but holy and blameless. This is God's desire. It's for us to be presented blameless at the end day. In Colossians 1, Paul declares that God has reconciled us by Christ's physical body through death to present us holy in his sight. How? Without blemish and free from accusation. And lastly, also in verse 24, we mentioned that we're going to be amazed here that God is our Savior, finds it joy. So I want to talk a little bit about this joy, okay? The sense of joy here is described as great joy sometimes, gladness, extreme gladness. Now, what's interesting is, is that this word is not used many times in the New Testament, but one of the times that it's used is when Elizabeth and Mary come together, and you guys remember what happened? Elizabeth said what? That the baby inside her jumped for joy. Okay, why? Why? Because of the coming of the Savior. Because of what, who Jesus is and who Jesus was. So this sense of joy, Jude look, reflects back, because he probably only heard this story secondhand, right, through his mom, right? 
And he uses the same term that was used by, by her to be able to describe the joy that here, that God feels over us, okay? It just gives us a glimpse into that. So I want to I tell a story a little bit. Uh, when, my, when my son Jacob was younger, he played in this uh, basketball league. Now, uh, it's actually a little Christian basketball league called Upwards. Now, in Upwards, what they do is, normally when you play in community basketball leagues, they, they introduce you, they don't even do, you just show up at the basketball game, you play your game, but Upwards decided to take a page out of the professional. So how many of you are Philadelphia 70s, or professional basketball fans? Okay. So in professional basketball, before a game starts, they introduce the team, okay? And then they'll be like, now introducing your Philadelphia 76ers, right? And they're like, starting at power forward, Scott Menon. And everyone goes crazy. Woo, Scott! Right? So do you say, the crowd is brought into this sense of frenzy and joy over what's about to happen. And that's the same sense that's going on here. In this upwards basketball, what they did for these little kids, they actually had an announcer. So this little seven-year-old kid walks out, Jacob, oh my, woo, and all the parents go crazy. But that's the sense that God has here. He's presenting us without blemish, without blame, with great joy. Because he has used his son in the death on the cross in order to bring us to the ability that we can be presented to him. So it isn't like, oh my goodness, look, you know, finally this, uh, this Brian guy, you know, I have to overcome all these challenges that he has. Come on, we'll let you through the gate. You're kind of the last one. I'll deal with it. Whatever, I'll deal with the issues that you bring. It's not. He sees Christ in us. Because he sees Christ in us, that's why he's able to have the great joy. It's because of what Christ has done for Brian, for me, for Scott, for many of you. That's why he has joy. That's what's amazing. The prophet Ze Zephaniah expresses this idea in Zephaniah 3. He says, the Lord your God is with you. The mighty warrior who saves you, he will take what? Great delight in you. In his love, he will what? No longer rebuke you, but will rejoice over you with singing. God sings over you. And Jude knew this. This was some of the Old Testament that Jude had, that he had been taught, that Christ most likely had explained to him that this is the great joy. Isn't that amazing? Now we move to the last verse. Verse 25 finishes out this. It's almost a prayer. Jude's benediction here is almost a prayer with this amazing description of God our Savior. We want to be amazed that he's the one that we give him glory, majesty, power, authority through Jesus Christ our Lord before all ages, now and forevermore. So what I want us to do here in this last section is just understand and realize how God is the one to be praised. He is the one who is glory, majesty, power, and authority. And when we hear words like glory and majesty, what, what comes to your mind, right? Kings and queens, right? So I mentioned we were over in the UK. So we had the opportunity here to see, actually, the throne. Her Majesty's throne in Buckingham Palace. And this is what it looks like, okay? Now, but I, I will tell you, when we were in this room just recently, people were not, like, uh, goofing off, okay? They weren't just, uh, you know, there was a sense of respect, and all, there was, there was guards obviously around and people were making sure you weren't taking things or touching things and things like that. But nonetheless, there was this sense when you walked into this room and you saw the throne, there was a sense of respect and reverence and awe that you had just for the seat. And I'm not even talking about for the person who sits in the seat. Even more should our sense of amazement and awe be for God, for his, his final throne and where he sits on it. So if God creates in us this sense of awe and respect for earthly kings and earthly queens, 
Imagine the sense of respect he can create in your own heart and all for him and how he's going to judge us at the end. And we see these attributes all coming together, as I mentioned, with other writers. Peter, in his first letter, chapter 4, 11, says, To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. The Apostle John, in Revelation 1, 6, says, To him be the glory and the power forever. Amen. And then through all of this, our main idea today is just that as we begin to understand God doesn't let us stumble, that God is the one who sustains us. He's the one who presents us blameless with great joy. And then when we see these attributes of him, our response should be that of worship. That of worship. But then what happens is, is that my mind, as I walk out this door, just goes on to, am I going to go to lunch at Panera with Jake and Deanna? I'm kind of hungry, you know. School's starting. Oh, they got fall soccer. You know, I, I, don't have, I didn't buy everything I need for back to school. And what happens is I get back into the mundane of real life. And this idea of this God who's keeping me, who presenting me blameless with great joy, who's full of majesty and honor, somehow escapes me until something happens, right? There's an event or a trigger, and then I'm brought back into who he is. And the way that we can keep this going, how do we keep this going? I want to challenge us is to spend time in his word and to begin to read these things about him. In the same way we, during our tour of the UK, learn from these different tour guides. So have, read things that are explaining the scriptures to you, that particularly explain who God is and what he's done for you. Pray to God and ask him to reveal more of who he is to you. Experience him more on a regular basis. I'll give you just two last examples from this, this trip that we took because it, it kind of gives me a sense. One is we got to see this, um, the tallest building in London. It's called the Shard. And it's just, you, it's, it's amazing. So when I saw this tallest building in London, I was just amazed at what man had put together. And then we also got to see this one other most beautiful building, I, the one I enjoyed the most, this amazing cathedral called St. Paul's. And we got to climb up to the Golden Gallery and take in the breadth of the view of the city and all the amazing things that were inside this cathedral as well. So as I think about these things at the beginning, we talked about not just bubbles and pizza, but even these amazing things like skyscrapers and cathedrals that man has made, it's very easy to just have your breath taken away at these things. So my encouragement is today is that, that, that we would have God take our breath away as we view him, as we view his throne, as we view what he's doing for us, as we experience what he's doing in our lives, that we would just have this sense of awe and that we would just want to fall down on our knees and worship him and just express that desire to him. And that's what I want us to do here. I want to invite the worship team back up. And we're going to be ending with this song that many of you know that's just going to allow us to do that. But as they assemble, I just want to end with a quote, this quote that's up here that was very helpful to me. It says, Biblical worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands, to who God is and what he's done. Biblical worship is the full life response, head, heart, and hands, to who God is and what he's done. And Walter, if you could put up just the last slide. I just want to read the verse again. Uh, sorry, right there. To him who's keeping... Let me... Uh, I can't read that font so well, sorry. Um... To him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you before his glorious presence without fault and with great joy, to the only God our Savior be glory, majesty, power, and authority through Jesus Christ our Lord.
before all ages, now and forevermore. Amen.